Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. So, welcome back. At this point in the program, we go around and introduce ourselves by either your first name, last name. Um, my name is David Lewis. <laughs> my name is Lee. I'm Casey. Paul Shepard. <coughs> my name is Tage. <coughs> I'm Jack. Michael, Dr. Mark, George, Michael, Joe, Jerry, Kurt. My name is Clint. Peter, Dakota, yes. Jerry, George. I'm Ian. I'm Kay. Oh, my name is Harley Shapiro. My name is Manuel. My name is Tony. Uh, Eric. I'm William. My name is Peter. My name is Robert. And Jim. Rich. And Frank. My name is Michael. Jeff. My name is Jerry Jones. I'm Paul. My name is Brian. My name is Chris Waldo. My name is Lewis. I'm Jim Stewart. My name is David. I'm Kirk. Miss anyone? Thank you. Our speaker this morning is Swarna Prava, who is, um, what's your position at the center? Um, I'm the creative director at the center. The director. So she is um, one of the kind people that made this space available to us. Um, we shared this space with their group and many others. Swarna was uh, ordained in 2001 into the Western Buddhist Order. And she's the director of the San Francisco Buddhist Center and a writer. She teaches classes and retreats at the San Francisco Buddhist Center, workplace wellness and mindfulness-based stress reduction at local businesses, and is in occasional meditation classes at the San Francisco County Jail. Her humorous advice column, Ask Auntie Savannah, was featured in Dharma Life, a British Buddhist magazine. Other writings have appeared in one book, Buddha Poems and From Beat to Hip Hop, published in 1998, and Challenging Times, Stories of Buddhist Practice When Things Get Tough, published in 2007. She is currently working on a book about meditation. So, welcome to the Bible. Thank you very much. Um, I'm just wondering if I can... Oh, yeah, sure. And I have two more questions. So one is, obviously you put that there, so that's a good place. That's recording. That's a place for that to be. Okay, good. And then my other question is, um, is it okay if I take a picture of you all? (laughs) (laughs) You're so cute.
Yes. So um, I'm going to talk about uh, neediness um, and uh, love, or possibly unconditional love. Um, and obviously this isn't an obviously traditional topic, though I do think it is linked to um, several uh, things that the Buddha talked about, which I'll bring out a little bit of that. Um, I haven't quite thoroughly thought about that, but hopefully you will be able to relate to some of this anyway. Um, so uh, our order has about 1,800 um, people in it um, who've been ordained in this order, and we have a monthly reporting in journal called Shabda. So they're uh, mostly in the UK and in India and in Europe and Mexico and all over the place, not so much uh, in the United States, but there's this journal that we all get and we all check in with each other and find out what's going on. So um, I thought I would read you uh, a little excerpt from um, one of my Shabda reports. This, sorry, Shabda is the name of the journal uh, from a couple of years ago. At the end of my sit this morning, I sent healing moonlight to all the people I've had silly crushes on or just generally acted weird around in the last several months. It felt great. While I have not yet regretted that my husband and I broke up last year, the actual experience of being single has been very different from what I imagined. Instead of being the free and easy androgynous pillar of light I figured I'd be, I turned into an at least occasionally weird, needy bastard. <laughs> As it were. I'm trying to be less judgmental. <laughs> so I think uh, before this time, I primarily noticed um, other people's neediness. Um, you know, when it's like you have this feeling that somebody wants something from you and maybe they're not even that clear about what that is. Um, they don't seem particularly aware. There's, I think there's all different kinds of version of it, but it's just kind of this feeling um, that you get from someone. And I was thinking of examples of this, and I was thinking um, possibly a really good example of this as well is uh, cats. Like cats seem to really not respond well to neediness, and I know this because I just, a cat, and my friend just moved in with me, and I haven't had a cat in a long time, and I really like cats, so I'm like, oh, trying to pet the cat all the time, and I can see the cat just going, what, get off me, like, what is wrong with you? Um, and uh, sometimes when I'm giving a talk, I'm really sort of, like, I want everybody to just look totally fascinated and laughing constantly. And I feel really like, oh, I sort of want a particular thing to come out of that. Um, and I guess the reason, part of the reason I'm interested in this is because um, I'm so embarrassed by it. Um, I just, and I became so painfully aware of it um, after I broke up with my partner, just like wanting to be adored, basically, wanting to be loved, wanting something. I mean, obviously not all the time and in all situations, and sometimes it has a romantic tinge, sometimes it doesn't, but this thing of just um, wanting something from people. 
Um, and uh, some friends of mine who had all just broke up with somebody, we kind of got together one night and we, um, we formed what we started calling Needy Bastards Club, <laughs> um, which you would really be astonished to know how many people have wanted to join this and got really freaked <laughs> out when we said, nah, that's pretty much closed. But, um, anyway, I think kind of, um, you know, this obviously, this relates to desire, right? And this is one of the central teachings um, of the Buddha, um, which he just, he noticed that just as human beings, we have these urges, we have these impulses, um, we deal with craving. And that's, of course, one of the four noble truths, and then also what are called the three poisons, right? Um, craving, um, confusion, and uh, hatred. So I think, um, I think to me it has two components. There's this component of wanting attention of some kind, but it's not only that. It's wanting attention of some kind, and it's not being aware of it, which I think is very key to what um, uh, the particular kind of state that I'm talking about. Um, and I think what's behind it is this kind of sense of incompleteness um, that we can have uh, just as human beings. I think, um, you know, we're all seekers of one kind or another. Everybody out there also is a seeker of one kind or another because we want something. I mean, and you might not relate to the word needy, uh, which is totally fine. Um, it's just something that resonates with me, but basically I'm talking about unaware desire or unaware craving. And I think it's probably, possibly universal. I think um, it can be interpreted, it can manifest in different ways. Um, the response can be an aware response, um, or it can be vague. Um, it can be self-referential, or it can be, or it can have a more open um, quality. It can be contracted, or it can be more kind of radiant or expansive. And so I'm gonna. So what I'm gonna sit, talk just a little bit about where I think it comes from. Uh, so I said a little bit about what it is or might be, where it comes from, and then I'm gonna say a bit about uh, something that I think is very related, which is um, this idea of unconditional love. So in terms of where it comes from, I think probably or possibly most of us might. Um, start talking about our parents um, or our childhood. I think that's just part of our culture. Um, but I was thinking about that and I was thinking, yeah, but everybody has this. So does that mean, I mean, to some degree, sometimes we all want something. We all want to be loved. So does that mean we all had some issue of not being loved enough at some point in the past. Um, it might be that. Um, but I guess I would say that I think from a Buddhist point of view, this kind of conditioning, uh, this kind of wanting, it might start, or it might start uh, before our parents. Um, and that can be interpreted in a different way, I think all of them might be correct. Um, but I think the most important thing about this is that there isn't really anything that just has one cause. Um, I think a lot of times our 
you know, some confusion of ours can arise around um, trying to attribute one cause. I'm in pain right now. Um, this person, as an example, this person is the cause of this pain, the one cause. But there are many, many, many conditions that come into being that, that create results. And I think in this case, probably, well, and probably in any case, the primary cause <coughs> is that we are human beings. And um, part of being a human being is 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 love, is some kind of feeling of being connected to life. I think somewhere in human beings that's just there and it's more or less painful and we are more or less capable of dealing with that need that we have. So this is our this is our situation that we're in. Um, if we feel needy, we're well. Some of us, we might choose that label that we're feeling needy. We might not. Um, but what we have, of course, and. Uh, probably every teacher that comes in here hammers on about this, so I'll just join the crowd, which is that um, we work with what's happening now. And this is, um, you know, possibly more useful, if not just as useful, as looking at the past and trying to figure out um, where things come from, because we have now, right? So. This idea of metta, or unconditional love, that we have in Buddhism, um, I think for me, what kind of resonates for me, and what I feel like I just I learn um, over and over and over again, is um, that any kind of sense of longing that I have, I have to, I have to accept it if I can even um, appreciate it just as a part of meaning that I'm alive, that I'm a human being that's alive, um, which doesn't necessarily mean acting on that longing, although it might. Um, I think that at least part of the Buddhist path for probably anyone um, means exploring desire, exploring impulses, um, urges, exploring longing, and trying to be, bring as much awareness to this um, as we can. Um, and making our desires, making our cravings um, conscious as much as we can. And if we feel guilty about them, um, you know, that's adding like another layer of complication. Um, and we can be aware of all that too, as much as we can. If we have aversion toward ourselves for whatever we're feeling, then we also need to bring that as much into awareness um, as we can. I mean, obviously, as you can tell, I have some degree of a conflicted relationship with this idea of being needy. Um, and I'm trying to, and I do often just find it interesting and I wanna know 
what it is. And in a way, I want to just, um, you know, have that be all right, really. As long as there's no cat around, it's probably all right. So I guess there's this question, and maybe this is a question that we all could need to figure out for ourselves at some point, you know, like what this idea of kindness or metta or loving kindness in Buddhism, like all kinds of people can say what they have figured out that it means and we can look at traditional texts and we can find out all this stuff, but I guess each of us can ask, um, what is my practice of this and what does it feel like and how is this any kind of a guiding principle for me? Um, is this helpful to me? And I thought of a couple of different ways um, to have an idea of what this is. Um, so this sentence came up for me, which is, that loving kindness can be, oh, I'm sorry, a creative, engaged response to our beauty as a vulnerable, at least occasionally confused beings with conflicting desires. A creative, engaged response to our beauty as vulnerable, at least occasionally confused beings with conflicting desires. I also often think of it as an embrace, a complete embrace of just all the moments that we have, a loving embrace. And you know, this is very, I think we do hammer on about this kind of thing in Buddhism, but there's so many moments and there's so many times that we can, um, we just kind of forget, or I, forget sometimes that that's what I'm doing and then I remember it and I'm like really happy and then I sort of I suppose to some degree like just the veil drops sometimes that's separating me from what's happening now so it's kind of it's hard to remember sometimes when we remember it's hard to do um, and I guess what I also relearn is just this idea that um, I can't get away from anything. I love that title of that Pema Chodron book, um, The Wisdom of No Escape. I think that's what she was getting at. You just, you can't get away, really. And that somehow that is a gift. Um, and, you know, I, I sometimes have very strong experience of this feeling of just this total, like, appreciation of life. Uh, I was at a, last week I was at the Caltrain station in San Carlos. I was coming back to San Francisco, and I got the train time wrong, so I decided I was there for ages, and this, um, this guy, this veteran, possibly homeless guy, was there, uh, who I just ended up chatting with the whole time, waiting for the train. And he was, I think I could say raving on about, um, you know, Obama's not American and stuff. And I just, I could feel myself like, ah, oh, 
how, where's the train? (laughs) 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 And, uh, but I was trapped there and I just ended up, I was like, oh, whatever. I just, just talked to him the whole time. And I just, um, I started finding his face really fascinating. He was really tan. He had all these wrinkles and I just, um, somehow he had so many defenses that he was sort of constantly putting out there and somehow I just got this sense of him as being actually quite defenseless and um, yeah I just the train came and I left it I just I felt like yeah I felt like I loved him Um, and you know I have moments on retreats and stuff where I feel like I can just all the moments that emerge I mean not only on retreat but it's a lot easier on retreat all the moments that come up I just um Yeah, it's just life. And I think, um, I think neediness and awareness um, is just our sensitivity. Um, this kind of longing that we have and, um, you know, becoming a bit more other people referential and kind of a less contracted um, response to that. And just knowing that everything is all right. Um, Sometimes things are terribly sad, uh, but they are still all right. I kind of have more stuff on my paper, but I kind of feel like maybe that's all. <laughs> I did have a nice quote from um, George Santayana. He was a Spanish-American philosopher. He was a contemporary of William James. He said, the truth is cruel, but it can be loved, and it makes free those who have loved it. The truth is cruel, but it can be loved, and it makes free those who have loved it. I just find that really beautiful. I don't know um, how long that was or how much time we have, but if anybody has any comments or anything, I would be happy to hear them. Introducing to my awareness the two words conflicting desires. <laughs> it's like, I don't think the, the meaningness comes from one desire, but from the conflict. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thank you um, for your, your topic. Uh, it reminds me a lot of American songs I hear called Love to Be Loved. Oh, I'll look that up. I'm not. I don't think I'm familiar with that song. Uh, it's it just it's a beautiful example of how we go through instead of to be with our own emptiness or neediness or loneliness or separation, we go through all these machinations and in a very defensive way, um, you know, creating a lot of 
just spent uh, last weekend studying with John Peacock, who's a Buddhist scholar at Oxford University. He's over here for a while. And he um, he's a translator, and he suggested that loving kindness was not really a very good translation for metta. And his favorite, tra his translation is uh, boundless friendliness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice. Which I've just been sitting with for the past week. I really like mm -hmm. that. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So thank you for your uh, forthrightness and, and sharing these experiences. And I, I want to return particularly to the place where you were very, at the very opening where you were talking about uh, your discovery that the what seemed to be the neediness of others uh, that there was a neediness of self. And it reminds me of the years of puzzlement that I went through as a recovering codependent. Because on the one hand, there was Buddhism, which told me that loving kindness, compassion, and you know, American society, caring for others was a good thing. And then there was coda, in which wise people told me that codependence is a bad thing, but they seemed, you know, they seemed sort of similar. And the conclusion I eventually came to was that the issue was uh, whether I was really doing it for them. That was the loving kind of selfless. Selfless is a critical thing. Loving kindness and compassion, or whether it looked like it was for them, but it was really for me. And then there's the, the mixed, mixed issues, which you've mentioned and other people have mentioned. So there's a beggar on the street, and I give them some money help them make me feel good. They're both there. Yeah. And what I think is helpful that I, I think you're surfacing is a recognition of those may allow us to uh, deal with situations with more wisdom. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you very much. That reminds me of a couple things. One is that um, my sister is very involved in the CODA and I, she'll say things <clears throat> like, you know, somebody needs help. I mean, I'm grossly overgeneralized. It's, it's something like, you know, somebody needs help, and I'm not going to help them. <laughs> and like, that's what she needs to do. She needs to not get in other people's stuff, and like, just step back a little bit. And I'm always just, yeah. But I think that that exact confusion that you're talking about is in there, and it's, it's finding the middle way. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And um, oh, I forgot what the other thing was. Anyway, thank you. That's very interesting. Hi. Yeah, but you and then and then the back. Yeah. Thank you for your for your share this morning. Um, for me, neediness, like when I when the topic came up, it's such a core issue for me that it's like something that I protect really tightly because I'm so uh, unused to exposing it to the light. And so I just value so much just having a discussion like this. 
Um, and it occurs to me in my practice and, and where I am in my life that sort of like we start out as these little beings that are absolutely needy and we're designed to be needy and we can't do anything but being needy. And then they push us away from needing other people to fulfill our roles and we're supposed to grow up and be self-sustaining. But yet, nobody really ever gave us the tools to meet that neediness because nobody can. I think that that's sort of a spiritual possibility but rather than a practical and emotional human. Um, but my understanding for what, how I interplay with it now, because it's totally still present as much as I, I hope it's still as present at 90 as it is now, to, re, to honor it, to honor the, the beauty of the inner child that needs whatever it is that's not being met, and uh, to not have to react to it anymore, not to let it write the storyline, but acknowledge it. I for so long thought that I should just shut it off or be ashamed of it or deny it, and that was the way, because I, as a self-realized adult, shouldn't be having these things. Yeah. Um, but but if I live that way, I'm not enjoying the joy of, and the beauty of everything that I am. Sort of that makes any sense. And so yeah. now I embrace it, but I don't let it write the story so that it draws me along into places that take me off whatever path it seems to be the path of light and enlightenment. Because um, I love that what you read at the end because I really believe it's true. It can be cruel. But it also, if you embrace it, it's very freeing. Mm. So. I think that's really interesting, and it actually reminds me of one of the things I was going to say in response to the other gentleman, which was that I think part of the reason this is so interesting for me is because I've, yeah, some kind of a view that, um, or persona that I don't need anything. And that's what creates this kind of tension. It's not just that having those feelings is an issue. It's just that having those feelings is only an issue if it's not supposed to be that way. Um, and I'm sort of not supposed to need anything. And I think it's really interesting to look at, um, yeah, how we feel about that and what it means and should it be happening. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for your talk. It was uh, very uh, gentle. And it just made me a couple, think of a couple of things. Since uh, April last year, April 2010, I've had severe sinus pain, I mean, really acute, it hasn't been diagnosed yet, we're going on a neurological path, and it's just been hammering me emotionally, and uh, part of it is that I don't think anyone can believe how much pain I am in from the sinus thing that's 24-7, and narcotics don't even uh, completely wipe it out, and I was meditating <coughs> the other day, and I was really paying attention to where the pain was and uh, giving it a, a lot of physical space, imaginary physical space almost. And um, because I felt my eye was tense because of this, and I felt that relaxed. And, um, and at the same time, I felt this joy and uh, it's because, you know, summer's my favorite time, and uh, I really uh, enjoy, you know, going out with my friends, and I, I don't even know if it was 
But I felt this joy, and then the observer in me went back and went, this is just really interesting, having these two concurrent feelings. Um, and it's a little bit, uh, it was very, uh, it gave me hope, you know, that I might be able to cope a little bit uh, better with this. And I know that I'm not going to be able to cope like that moment. I can't try anything to recapture that moment. But just knowing that it's a possibility, you know, gave me some hope because I've been feeling really severely depressed with this because there's yeah. no diagnosis. And one thing is I don't tell anyone about it because I don't think they're going to understand and I begin to tell, you know, people about it. And, uh, so thanks because I feel tremendously needy. But, uh, you know, a lot of the need can't be helped by anybody else. I mean, at this point, I've gone to you know, lots of doctors, and I, uh, I'm still working on it. I, I just got to take care of myself the best way I can, you know, get hugs and things like that. But it's, um, the neediness sometimes makes me feel so, uh, uh, there's a lot of self-loathing that comes in with being yeah. so needy. So I don't even express the neediness a lot of time. So it was a great topic, and uh, thanks for your presentation. Thank you so much for sharing that. At the risk of anthropomorphizing a little bit, but I, I enjoyed your reference to, to cats. And uh, one thing I've heard about cats versus dogs is that cats are not afraid for their job. I've been a dog person all my life, and certainly love my pets. And they're you know they're needy. They're needy of my my attention and affection. Yeah, but I did have the experience of living with a cat for a while. And that was a very interesting experience because through that, I learned to see cats in a new light. And I became aware that no matter where you are, at least in San Francisco, you're likely to be observed at that point by a cat. You know, they're <laughs> and uh, they are very attentive of their environment. And, and uh, again, you know, it's. Um, what goes on in a cat brain uh, is not something that we're bound to know. Yet, but but they, they exemplify detachment for me mm -hmm. in a very real way. So I appreciated that reference again at the beginning. It reminds me of, I think it was Joseph Goldstein who, uh, actually it's different to, I think different teachers have brought this up, but there's some story about um, the difference between um, being a dog chasing after not even a bone, like a fake plastic bone, and like running after the bone, trying to get the bone, um, versus a lion that turns to face the thrower, I believe is what the story is. <laughs> so, anyway, I'm sure there's some very positive dog analogies as well. Thank you for your talk. Uh, I hope you're celebrating being a needy bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you a story. About 10 years ago, I walked into work and I was having a bad day. 
and then a friend of mine walked into work, and he was having a bad day, and I got this idea, let's celebrate National Victims Day. <laughs> and every time we see each other, we'll give a V, <laughs> and because I think sometimes we don't celebrate our humanness, yeah. and how we're feeling, like we have anger, and we're like, oh, we gotta get rid of that, we gotta yeah, 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 yeah. But if you do it through a sense of humor, and allowing to have that feeling, then, I mean, I forget sometimes, I have another friend I do this with too, and sometimes she doesn't want to admit being a victim. She wants to stay in her victim, and she doesn't want to celebrate it. So, um, so I'll just kind of set up That's everybody. Like, celebrate wherever you Thank are, you. because we all can relate, and not uh, have the shame going on saying, yeah. you know, who I'm a... Yeah, stuff that's just making it worse. Yeah, so. yeah. I invite you all to celebrate your own national victims. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Wait here and then over there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just want to echo a couple of Jerry and uh, Paul in the sense that it's, there's a shame involved in being me that, that just makes it even, it's like, it's like the, you know, the second arrow. Oh, you know, so you're needing and you feel pain from that, and then you feel like you can't articulate this neediness because of all the shame and, and all the you know, negative thought. And I think it's kind of the cruel trick of the universe that the needier you the more you want something, the needier you are, the less chances you are going to get that. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like um, repellent. I've been in both places where I'm tremendously needy and really wanting, you know, affection, love, whatever, uh, you know, sympathy, whatever, and feeling like it just wasn't coming. And other times where I felt very light and playful and, and independent, and I was getting all this yeah, 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 yeah. get it, but it wasn't like, I have to have this. It's like, this is like a nice little side benefit. Yeah. So it's just kind of, yeah. you can see that flooding. Yeah, and that, I think that really illustrates you know, like what you would call a cycle of suffering in Buddhism, where the thing that you're uh, for is exactly the thing that you can't get, which makes it worse, which, and just all of this stuff kind of feeding off each other. And then, you know, hopefully if we can bring a little bit of awareness in there, we can, um, you know, at least interrupt that cycle a little yeah. bit. Sometimes. And just uh, I, I have a cat who in the former life must have been a dog because <laughs> he's, he's very needy and okay. <laughs> Yeah, thank you very much for your provocative and generous share. Um, I have three questions. Um, do you think this is the source of dukkha? Um, do you think that this is uh, the challenge to a spiritual quest? And do you think there are gender differences in the experience of mm. the orientation differences? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, wow, interesting. Let me ask the last one first. Ask, talk about the last one first, because I gave a talk similar to this at our Sangha night, which is on Wednesdays, and uh, I was really surprised. Somebody said, oh, people just, I wasn't planning on doing Q&A or anything, and somebody just started asking questions, and so that's what happens. But it was almost all men. And I was really surprised. I would have guessed that it would have been more women. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, I don't know what the gender thing, I'm sure there is, are gender differences, but I don't know what they are because I was wrong about my only guess <laughs> that I ever did. And then, um, sorry, what was the first thing about? 
Well, I remember one question at a time. Gives us this dissatisfaction to get us to ask questions and to become aware. I mean, why? Like, yeah, I feel like. Um, I guess I guess my kind of view on it is it. It seems like we have this this longing. Um, you know, starting from being a baby, the things that a baby wants, et cetera, and as that becomes more convoluted and interesting as we as we grow up. And I guess I feel like that longing, um, you know, it, it kind of has different paths. It can go down the path of, um, I want this, I have to get this, I'm not even that aware of what's going on, and that's what I have to do, and then some kind of dissatisfaction that's just tied into that. But I think it can also, um, it's funny, I don't feel like I can even, I don't know if I can even quite articulate this, but I, I feel like it can also be uh, just love and appreciation. And it's, those things are not, I wouldn't say, like, essentially different. I think it's just a question of like manifestation. I think the basic longing that we all have can just go different directions. And I suppose, um, you know, what we might try to do in Buddhist practice is, yeah, create, you know, as I'm sure as we all know, just creating less suffering for ourselves, just as the prohibitive side, but then also just, um, you know, letting the, connection that we all have with life just letting that flower and I think those two things actually start from the same place and I think awareness is a big factor in there yeah I was very moved by your talk um, as well as uh, um, provoked in my thinking um, and also by, by your share and um, I'm struck by how um, neediness is a is a quality that we tend to think of as a bad thing, and vulnerability as a thing that we think of as a good thing, and that in many ways they're two aspects of the same reality. And as you spoke about the pain you were in, I was thinking you you, you said that you were reluctant to speak about it because it, it revealed such neediness. And yet I was so grateful for your vulnerability in exposing your reality. And it brought up an upwelling of compassion. So it's, I'm just struck by this, the depth of these, these things and how, how naming them as you know, good and bad and we want to go towards this one and away from that one, it's much more nuanced than that. Mm -hmm. and it's, as you say, about breathing into it and seeing seeing how it can open your heart to what is. Yeah, yeah. It's very apropos to me. Yeah. Thank you. I was thinking about neediness and my own neediness, and I was trying to think even what's under, what's behind neediness. And I was thinking, is it is it our desire to have safety? And security in a world where there isn't any, or is it something more like um, affirmation, recognition, something to do with our, our 
self-esteem. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's a fascinating question. I, I, it seems to me like, um, oh, I know this bugs some people, but I'm kind of into like temperaments and personality types and stuff, even though even, actually that can be quite annoying as well, but I find some aspects of it interesting. I mean, it seems like for some people, safety is a huge issue. Um, I mean, I think there might be a, possibly a thread through everybody, but for some people it seems like the theme is like never being able to be loved enough. And it's just this constant thing it comes out in relationships, it comes out at work, it comes out all over the place. Or, um, you know, being afraid and needing stability and like safety. So I think probably those threads are more or less magnified in different people, but I think what I'm calling neediness and this kind of insecurity, I think, would probably include um, all those all those types of things. And I mean, yeah, I think it's a basic fact of life that, I mean, in a way, there are more or less stable countries and situations, et cetera, but in a way, we're not safe. Um, we are we have vulnerable human bodies, and we cannot control what goes on around us. Um, so we are susceptible to all kinds of pain and disease and trouble. Um, and I think coming to some kind of relationship to that is a, our challenge from a certain point of view. Does that make sense? Yeah. How are we doing on time? Are we good? We or? should probably wrap up. Okay. Um, if you will, you be available to hang around for yeah, a sure, yeah. during our, our social hour. Yeah. Do we have uh, any announcements this morning? <clears throat> Jerry. Uh, next week uh, we'll be having open discussion, and if you haven't been here before, we break up into small groups, and the leader usually chooses the topic. Thank you. <clears throat> uh, Okay. Uh, good morning. I'm Kay, and I'm the standing host this morning. Uh, and welcome to GBF, to all of you. Uh, we have social period, uh, as David said, and enjoy the refreshment up there. Uh, also, feel free to have tea. Uh, if you use tea cups, please wash them and put them back on the rack. Uh, there's also a sign-up sheet for newcomers, so if you'd like to stay in touch with this group, please uh, write down your street address and the email address. Uh, there also is a group of people who usually go out and have lunch around 12.30, and if you'd like to join that group, uh, look for them uh, near the front door around 12.30. And finally, I'll be coming around with a dining ball, uh, so uh, we would appreciate your generosity in helping this organization keep going and suggested donation amount is five to eight dollars. So thank you very much. Actually I have a little announcement too. Um, I'm teaching on Thursday, I'm starting a six week class which is it's basically meditation for stress reduction and it's downtown. Um, first in market it's at a yoga studio there. So if you know anybody who works downtown who would like to try to chill out a bit more um, it's um stress reduction at work com is where the information for that is. And I was going to do a transference of merit. Did I miss my chance for that? Or should no, I wait? that's next. Good. Okay, good. Sorry. Any other announcements?
Well, let's gather in a circle and Savannah will help us just um, say this phrase that we use um, in our group and I'll say it three times so if you'd like to join me please do may the merit gained in my acting thus go to the alleviation of the suffering of all beings may the merit gained in my acting thus go to the alleviation of the suffering of all beings May the merit gained in my acting thus go to the alleviation of the suffering of all beings. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.